You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Another exciting and fun-filled episode of Grab Them by the Pot. I'm Kevin. Along with me is Jesse. And you'll have to bear with us this evening <laughs> as we both are, are suffering the ill effects of cold and, well, I guess it's not cold and flu season necessarily, but since the temperature and the weather won't regulate itself up here in New England, uh, we suffer from a slew of allergy-related illnesses and we might have to clear our throats from time to time. Yeah, I think it's sick whenever it goes from from season to season. Although it's been stuck between summer and fall for it seems like two months now. It's, it, I always tell people I'm very much uh, Goldilocks. You know, I don't want it too hot. I don't want it too cold. I want it just right. Um, and that's how I look at things with the weather. You know, if if you're gonna commit, go all the way. Go to. I'm ready to put on the winter jacket, put on the long sleeve shirts, uh, but don't just keep me in limbo because you're making me hack and cough and sneeze and just drive everybody around me crazy yeah so <laughs> let's let's move on all right so i was putting together the rundown for the show uh i was at work and i went out to the lunchroom to just yeah, see what was going on and there on the screen was donald trump and right next to him was his apparently good friend mitch mcconnell so i had to run back to my seat turn on c-span see what the heck was going on uh, it was really just more bs you know the same stuff we see time and time again uh they're still talking about neil gorsuch uh, being appointed to the supreme court that happened months and months ago uh people like to say well you know that's a big accomplishment no that's part of his job. It was actually Obama's job, but they wouldn't let him do it. But appointing someone to a vacancy in the Supreme Court isn't like going above and beyond the call of duty. It's doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, and then he kept going on and on about all of the judges they're appointing at all levels, which are going to be around for 40 years in the future. So it's really a big deal. But the media won't report on it. Dems are holding up nominations. They're bad politicians, but they're good obstructionists. Gee, seems a familiar refrain, although we're used to hearing that as the Republicans being the obstructionists, which certainly they were for the eight years of the Obama administration. And I must say that it is quite the accomplishment to scam the entire <laughs> justice system by not allowing the Obama appointee Merrick Garland to be, you know, at least had a, a vote for confirmation, let alone be confirmed. I mean, that is quite an accomplishment. I blame Democrats and I blame people like myself, too, for not being too invested in that because we all assume that Hillary Clinton is going to win the election. I was like, oh, you know, it's it's annoying, but she'll just appoint Merrick Garland when she's president. And oops, like many things uh, about God, just about a year ago now, uh, like many things a year ago, uh, we were wrong. So, oh, well, uh, Trump kept going on and on about how he and Mitch are just great friends. They've never been stronger. And you look at Mitch. I, you can't read his face. He's just kind of like that little turtle face. And he's just you know, standing there taking whatever Trump is giving him. Um, I, I don't think they're on the same page with the agenda. It was just a few months ago that he was – Trump was kind of giving it to McConnell saying after all these years of promising to repeal and replace, uh, he failed. And that, that's not good. And now you know they're thick as thieves. Well, Trump, as we know, is a fair weather friend. And when things are going his way, well, certainly the relationship has never been stronger. The minute things turn sour, you know that's going to change. So, you know, this is just, you know, temporary uh, appeasement, if you will. Yeah, if you 
take Trump to be on your side and, and you want to put your faith in him and then he turns on you, you really have no one to blame but yourself. And that goes whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a son-in-law, Jared Kushner. I'm sure he'll throw him under the bus the first chance um, that it, you know, it comes up that it has to happen. Uh, and of course, you know, you can't end any Trump press conference without him going off on Hillary Clinton, still talking trash about her. Because apparently she came out and said uh, she didn't think that kneeling during the national anthem uh, was necessarily disrespectful. I think, you know, she opened to a much more gray interpretation of it rather than being black and white. He started going, oh, now I understand why she lost. I mean, I knew she lost because she was a horrible candidate. But now I see something like this, and it's obvious why she lost. That's a really bad Trump impression. I don't know what that voice was. I'm sorry. Yeah, not uh, quite sure. <laughs> um, it was kind of like a, an old professor voice of ours. Uh, I like, was just going to say, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he started going off again at the NFL, and people were very angry at the NFL. Uh, you look, you see bad ratings, empty seats in the stands. The people are speaking, you know, again, I, I read a report uh, this week that said people, whether they agree with kneeling or not, they understand that it has nothing really to do with the flag at this point. It has a, a greater meaning. But in Trump's world, no, no. Again, it's very black and white. Uh, if you kneel during the flag, you hate the United States, you hate him, you hate police officers, you hate veterans, you hate anybody that uh, may have an American flag anywhere near them. Well, more importantly, according to a report that I read, only 52% of Americans disagree with NFL players kneeling during the national anthem. So that is, you know, slightly over half, but it, it roughly 50-50, right? Half of this country is okay with it as a form of protest, and the other half is not. So much like many issues... Our country is divided, but that is certainly no mandate. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have much more important things to worry about, whether you kneel or you stand in the flag. I, I don't care. You know, uh, you can be for it, you can be against it, whatever. I'm still worrying about maybe getting enough water and supplies in my basement for the upcoming nuclear holocaust with North Korea. All right, enough ranting and raving about President Trump. Not to, well, different ranting and raving about President Trump. He released the health care executive order last week. This executive order, or EO, you know, if you're in the biz, he said this would begin saving American people from the nightmare of Obamacare. He said, by the way, Obamacare is dead, much like I believe it was Mark Twain, you know, the, the reports of the death are probably greatly exaggerated, but we'll get there. Um, later in the day on Friday, he announced he'll stop making scheduled payments to insurance companies uh, that help them lower deductibles for low-income customers. Yeah. yeah, saving Americans from the nightmare that is having millions more Americans insured. That's 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 absolutely ter uh, horrific. I, I can't imagine anything worse. You know, and this idea, much as Trump has promised from the beginning, right, is to sabotage Obamacare so that it fails to now make his point. He couldn't get it passed through Congress. So he's going to personally sabotage it, make it fail, and then point out and say, I told you so. Well, this is coming from the guy who sat there and whined and bitched and moaned about Obama overreaching you know, his, his powers and responsibilities by doing executive orders. Now he's happy to do them himself. Uh, any of his quote-unquote big accomplishments have pretty much come by executive order because Congress isn't passing anything he wants to get through. Imagine that. Imagine that. So in his mind, this EO uh, will lower premium health care plans available to more Americans. Uh, it's basically, it 
directs Trump's administration to work towards an increase in the use of association health plans. Uh, these are the type of plans that allow small business owners to kind of join together into groups uh, to purchase the same insurance for themselves and employees that you may get at a larger organization. Uh, it also seeks to expand the use of short-term limited duration insurance, which is typically meant for people who are between jobs who just need coverage for a short amount of time. Uh, and finally, it directs the administration to look at options for employees to use pre-tax income to help workers pay for medical expenses. Um, basically, Trump is looking for any way to get insurance options that that crap all over the ACA. You know, if if the name of Obama is on it, it's bad news, at least according to him. Right. And, and we can talk more about that later. And we will talk more about that. Uh, the president just looking to undo Obama's legacy. But this is classic big business practice, right? Textbook uh, Trump practice. You know, just like Walmart, who has notoriously been known to hire people, uh, maybe raise the pay, but only give them, say, 28 instead of 35 hours a week so as to not have them be full time and not have to pay them health insurance or uh, provide them health insurance or provide them with other benefits. This, this helps people who are not sick, people who are healthy, I guess you would say, younger people. Uh, but again, it is screwing people who are sick. Uh, the ACA requires insurance companies to cover people regardless of the state of their health, uh, provide essential health benefits. These are the things we've been fighting for uh, during the numerous attempts to repeal and replace. Uh, in this case, uh, if, if you have one of Trump's plans and you get sick, or you have uh, cancer, or you have one of the many, many things that consider to be a pre-existing condition, you're in big trouble, and, and you're going to be spending through your teeth because you've got a bare-bones plan that doesn't cover anything. And remember, folks, your wife being pregnant can be considered a pre-existing condition. Yeah. Uh, so just think about that, guys, uh, when you're you're living life and trying to grow your family, and then, oops, you're in big trouble. My, my brother just had a baby, and uh, he told me how much that would have cost without insurance. And I can only imagine uh, you know, the average person having to deal with that if they you know, didn't have Obamacare and they, and they needed it, uh, and, and Trump was screwing them over. So I, I was reading some articles today, and I came across a quote from Larry Levitt. He's the senior vice president of the Nonpartisan Kaiser Family Foundation. And, and if you ever need information on healthcare issues, uh, KFF is actually a great place to go to. It gives you a lot of great information that's not biased, although I'm sure the Trump administration would say otherwise. Uh, but he tweeted out that anything that creates a parallel insurance market for healthy people will lead to unaffordable coverage for sick people. And that's what we've been trying to say you know, for the last year as Trump has been trying to undo this. Uh, everything's fine and dandy now uh, when you feel like you're ready to take on the world, but that doesn't last forever. Things pop up out of the blue, and uh, when you're the person that's sick and everybody else is saying tough, tough noogies, maybe it doesn't sound so good when you're in that situation. Yeah, anything based in a too-good-to-be-true scenario typically won't last. I mean, ask stock uh, brokers in 1929. <laughs> Ask ask people in 2007 or so when everything was going great, and then oh, I, I work for Bear Stearns. And that's I'm, the place is an institution; it'll never go away. Oops. Um, yeah. So you never, you always have to be ready. You know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and uh, that's how I think insurance, health insurance, should be looked at. Anyways, uh, any of this stuff is not going to happen anytime soon, though. That's that's one thing we can at least be happy about. Uh, it probably won't happen in 2018. It may not happen by the end of 2019. So there is time to uh, get around the executive order to fight to take back Congress. Hell, to take back the White House in 2020 or 
sooner. Who the hell knows what's happen, happening with the White House? Um, but we, you just have to make sure uh, that that you're covered, that your friends are covered, and honestly, that strangers are covered because the entire healthcare industry it's it's one big organism, and if one thing goes down, everybody's going to get screwed in, in, in the end. At least that's my opinion. Right. It's much like the argument of paying your taxes, even if, you know, say you don't have children in your local schools anymore, that if you let the system fail because you don't want to pay into it, everything else around you is going to begin to crumble and the value of your property is going to go down. So it's sometimes it's worth it to pay into something to make sure that everybody has the benefit. Yeah, that's a great example. Kevin. Did anybody ever tell you you should run for Board of Education? Uh, never heard it. Never heard of that. <laughs> well, as Trump continues to try to destroy the Obama legacy, it's funny when you say the Obama legacy because we've talked. I, I was not a huge, huge fan of President Obama when he was president, but now with the alternative, I've uh, you know I guess if, if going back in time, I'm, I'm a bigger fan now than I was uh, during the actual presidency. But as they try to destroy the Obama legacy. President Trump said today that he decertified Iran's compliance with a nuclear agreement because he is tired of being taken advantage of. Uh, he also left open the idea that the U.S. could still fully pull out of the deal. Uh, Trump actually announced this all uh, on Friday, which triggered legislation that gives Congress 60 days to decide whether or not to reimpose certain sanctions that have been lifted under the agreement. It's going to be a complete cluster, you know what. Right. He's been hinting at this for some time because since he took office, I mean, heck, he ran on this as one of his campaign issues about the Iranian nuclear deal was one of the worst deals America has ever entered into. Uh, he'd already uh, certified the compliance twice reluctantly so far in his uh, presidency. And now he's finally putting his foot down, if you will, and, and saying that we need to renegotiate. This is terrible and, and we're going to throw it out. We're going to decertify but the more and more he talks about this, and really it's a case with anything that Donald Trump talks about, the more he talks about this, the more it's obvious he has no idea what he's talking about. He keeps talking about how the U.S. ended up giving Iran $100 billion because of this deal. The truth is the U.S. didn't give them any money. Uh, these were Iranian assets that were already frozen, and they were unfreezing to give it back to them. He also touts uh, that the plan allows Iran to continue developing certain elements of its nuclear program, and in just a few years, some of the key restrictions will disappear. Well, yeah, some of these restrictions uh, will phase out. Out in 10 to 25 years, you know, Iran wasn't necessarily going to sign an agreement that just bars them forever. Uh, but Iran is permanently prohibited from acquiring nuclear weapons, which, by the way, is a good thing. And I'd happily pay $100 billion, at least of my government's money, uh, to stop someplace like Iran from having nuclear weapons. Well, you bet. Absolutely. You know, Trump calls this the worst and most one-sided transaction that the United States has ever en entered into. But I'd argue that that was his election to the presidency, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, it's... <sighs> He also he loves just giving the, the the vague number of many people. You know, not not like you know a lot of people here. You know, many people uh, believe that the Iran that Iran is dealing with North Korea, and that our intelligence agencies are going to be looking into that. By the way, no one knows what the hell he's talking about. I don't think one person, let alone many people, think that Iran and North Korea are are working in this. I guess he's just going to have the intelligence agencies spinning wheels. Uh, wasting time looking at a connection. I mean, yes, both North Korea and Iran are issues to look at, but I don't necessarily think they're working together, especially when you know they're so far away. And I, I, I would—it's it, just insanity. He just keeps coming up with these ridiculous comments that we then run and and start looking into and commenting on, like we're doing right now, rather than focusing on the issues at hand. Are you saying that there is not a person 
that believes so, in this, let alone many, many people, people, which would necessitate our entire concern. What am I going to do with this concern? <laughs> um, we actually, you know, who's very happy with President Trump? Uh, Iran's supreme leader Ali Khamenei. Apparently, he's thanking Trump for unifying the country. Whether you take the hardliners and then you take the moderates, and then you see Trump basically calling them all morons, they get pissed and they come together in their hatred for the United States now. So good job. You've united Iran against the United States more so than they were already. Well, he claimed he was going to unify a country. He just wasn't specific, and he succeeded. He's mm-hmm. he's unified Iran. He's lived up to one campaign promise, if nothing else. The GOP hates debt. It's all we ever hear. They hate spending money that adds to our deficit. You always hear them talking about, you know, those liberals are spending money, putting us more and more underwater. But suddenly, a lot of the GOP is saying, you know what? Debt's not so bad. Uh, we can go into debt if we need to for tax reform. We still have some deficit hardliners who are insisting that these tax cuts be paid for, uh, like Bob Corker, who has been going off on the president in recent in recent weeks. He's actually going off on uh, Trump's budget chief, Mick Mulvaney, who was a real hardliner himself. Now, you know, Mulvaney is working for Trump and, you know, his morals and his convictions have gotten a little looser, which happens to a lot of people who work for the Trump administration. People with loose morals. Never, never would have thought. Uh, one of the reasons the GOP is suddenly forgetting their stance on the deficit is because they are desperate for a win, any kind of win. Uh, they need to live up to their campaign promises, and one of those was tax reform slash tax cuts. Um, most economists say it's unlikely that a multi-trillion dollar tax package will pay for itself with sustained long-term growth, but that's not what the Trump administration thinks. They go, no, 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 it'll all pay for itself. Don't worry about it. It's add to the deficit. No problem. Even though for years and years I, I yield at you guys and said, no, stop adding to our debt. I'm telling you, it's cool now. No problem, because I want to pass a bill that is likely going to help lots of rich people. Right. But, uh, you know, these are all problems for future Congresses to figure out, right? Yeah. You know, you know, know, why worry about it today? It's kind of like wimpy in in Popeye. I'll gladly pay your deficit on Thursday for a hamburger today. You know, why worry about that today when they can just kick the can down the road? Um, Play that an awful lot. Yeah. All this basically results in Trump being very, quote unquote, flexible on the details of the tax reform bill. Um, again, he's concerned with getting something done, something passed, doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily care what's in it. Uh, he wants it done as soon as possible so we can tell everybody in 2018, vote for the GOP. We got something done. We got you tax reform done. Um, in the end, I think this is going to go the same way as everything else that Trump's been pushing. It's going to get watered down and ultimately not pass. Am I the only one that can envision him sitting there in, you know, the Oval Office or sitting there in the uh, residency of the White House in his bathrobe watching, you know, Fox News (laughs) and a giant television just steaming because nothing's going his way and just like stomping around like a 71 year old man child saying, just pass something, just do something. I don't care what it is. It's it's a sad, sad, but I feel. Uh, true image that plays out in my mind when I think of the behind the scenes of what's going on in Washington with Trump in the White House. No, it's it's a very realistic image to imagine. I want to know what is Melania doing at this time. I mean, this is not me attacking Melania at all. I just want to. We find it interesting to be able to be married to someone like Trump, you know, on a normal 
basis when he's losing his mind like what does she does she just sit there in another room watching tv or something what's what happens i would love to see what happens when you know the cameras go away and it's the two of them are there any good slovenian game shows that she can get on like satellite cable i don't know i'll have to check in on that and report back next episode On to a former member of the Trump administration, Paul Manafort. He's the former campaign manager for Donald Trump. Um, Apparently, he had much stronger financial ties to a Russian oligarch than we previously thought. Uh, This matters because of, you know, a little thing called collusion. Um, Trump and his associates just can't seem to escape their many, 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 many ties to Russia. Many ties. Many ties. Um, NBC News reported that $26 million changed hands in the form of a loan uh, between a company linked to Manafort and, uh, excuse me here, my Russian is not up to par, Oleg Deraspaka, perhaps? I don't know, close enough. Um, he's a billionaire with, of course, close close ties to the Kremlin. Um, the loan brings a total of their known business dealings to around $60 million over the past decade. Uh, we've said it before, we said it again, when there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, he could have had a deal dealing with somebody from, I don't know, like Australia. But of course, it has to be Russia because this is the Trump administration. Exactly. You know, the proof in the pudding, the the, the truth behind why this investigation even needs to take place. Stuff happened. It's real. Even if they're not guilty of anything, their own incompetence is what leads to the everything you know going on and on and on because they keep stoking the flames and then get mad when people you know want to yell fire fire fire. Yeah. Look the other way, nothing to see here. <laughs> and again, for those of you who have forgotten who Paul Manafort is, uh, he was forced to resign from the Trump administration in August 2016 um, following allegations of improper financial dealings. No surprise there. He said he was innocent, but you know he was gone from the campaign before they actually crossed the finish line. Now he's a central figure in the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, um, which again, you know, Mueller is taking his time looking into the and if there's any collusion going on with. Russia, if anything else improper has happened, uh, we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs waiting, but it's good that Mueller's taking his time and doing his due diligence. Uh, but again, it does not look good. Plus, all of Manafort's financial documents were filed in Cyprus and the Cayman Islands. Did you ever, have you ever heard of an American having dealings in the Cayman Islands that wasn't shady? Yeah, it brings to mind <laughs> was uh, Grisham's The Firm, right? Didn't yeah, they uh, yeah. have money stored away down in the Cayman Islands and Right. Yeah. It's nothing has ever nothing good has ever come of uh, those situations where money was being uh, laundered, if you will, in the Caymans. Many of which people are basically saying, you know, pay pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Move along. Move along. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything is awesome. Wait a minute. The man behind the curtain. You mean former FBI director James Comey? (laughs) Yes. Trying to hide and, and not be seen by President Trump. Sadly, when you're a gigantic man in the White House. No blinds and no curtains can hide you. And by the way, this this Russian oligarch was described in 2006, uh, and this is in a diplomatic cable, as among two or three oligarchs that Putin turns to on a regular basis. So, of course, it's a rich Russian guy who Putin likes. Hmm, nothing shady there. Well, I tell you what, the one positive that I've taken away from all of this is that it's made my ability to teach oligarchy <laughs> to my 10th grade civics students 
a lot easier because I've got these real world examples. You know, prior to the 2016 election to teach oligarchy, you know, kids <laughs> had a hard time understanding it. But now I just pull up a couple of news articles or news clips about Russia and they learn firsthand exactly what an oligarch is. It's a fun word to say. I like saying oligarch, oligarchy. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep on watching and see what goes on with Manafort with the mother investigation. See if uh, anything comes to fruition out of all this. Um, there's no timeline, so just keep checking back with us to see if anything pops up. Um, the final thing I want to talk about today is Senator Feinstein from California facing a primary challenge. Uh, Diane Feinstein's been there for 25 years, and now someone else in the Democratic Party is trying to push her aside. This past week at 84 years old, uh, Senator Feinstein announced that she will seek another term. So this would put her at the uh, young age of <laughs> 90 years yeah. old, yeah. you know, when she finishes that term. So, you know. To some, that might be considered young, you know. I She's guess a kid. Robert Byrd and Strom Thurmond, right? Yeah. Uh, I like to point out, by the way, that uh, how, how she came to the Senate. She was famously mayor of San Francisco. She became mayor after uh, Mayor George Moscone was killed, assassinated, really, um, alongside Harvey Milk. If you go see the movie, it's a good movie. Um, and this led to something called the Twinkie Defense, where they said the assassin Dan White, who was a health food advocate, uh, had recently started eating junk food. And you know this junk food just diminishes capacity for rational thought, and that's why he did it. Um, you know, yes, I, I, it's, it's sad that people uh, were killed, but I always find that to be a very interesting defense. Um, I don't think if I was an jury, I'd buy it. Um, but you know, that led to her, you know, her coming to prominence. She was eventually uh, elected. To, I think she lost an election for governor first, but then went to the Senate. Um, the guy who's running against her is California State Senate President Kev, another Kevin. We've been seeing Kevins everywhere. This guy is Kevin Kevin De Leon of Los Angeles. Uh, he's shaping this election to be taking on the establishment. This is David versus Goliath. Um, Feinstein, who's ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, across the hall from where I used to work on the Senate Finance Committee, um, will argue that California can't afford to lose the clout that she's collected over the last 25 years or so, um, and she's going to be hard to beat. Um, Leon, De Leon is trying to run a campaign uh, where he points out that he was raised in poverty, the child of immigrants, uh, has a track record as a very strong progressive, uh, where Feinstein is more of a bridge builder, uh, and again, he's a kid, he's only 50, while She's 84. So, Kevin, my answer, my question for you is, is it time for new blood in the Senate in California or should Californians stick with who they got? Well, we certainly felt here in Connecticut what that was like back in 2012 when Chris Dodd, who had, you know, achieved success in the Senate and had some important positions within it, uh, retired after a long career there. But we ended up with a guy named Chris Murphy, who, in my opinion, is doing all right for himself right now, I'd say. Um so, you know, sometimes it is there's a need for a change, some new blood, some new ideas. But uh, Mr. DeLeon is certainly a long shot. A recent Berkeley IGS poll had him polling at only three percent in a hypothetical election if Senator Feinstein chose not to run. So he's kind of a long shot. He may not be the only one that will run against her in a primary. According to Politico, billionaire environmentalist Tom Stryer and wealthy Orange County progressive activist Joseph Sandberg are also considering challenging her as well. I don't know if I can support Feinstein with the way that she dresses, uh, you know, not to put it, put her down for her for her choices in uh, clothing, but the image that sticks in my mind whenever I think of Diane Feinstein was 
the uh, State of the Union a couple of years ago. She was dressed in this purple getup that reminded me, like, uh, she looked just like Jack Nicholson in Batman from 1989. Like, Doesn't anybody say, Senator, you probably shouldn't wear that out to an event that's going to be broadcast all over uh, every network? That's just me picking, you know, splitting hairs, I guess. Do you, would you have any ideas or any thoughts on how old is too old to be in the Senate? I guess you could argue that as long as you're mentally there, uh, it's fine. But I mean, I, I saw firsthand Robert Byrd. I saw firsthand Strom Thurmond. These guys were basically being carried by their staffers. They were falling asleep on the Senate floor. Uh, I, I know there are no term limits, but man, at a certain point, just give away to the younger generation. Again, I feel like I say that more and more, both on this podcast and in my daily life. Well, my initial instinct, Jesse, is to say, you know, uh, what's the barometer for that? And I say Strom Thurmond, right? If you're 99 or 100 years old, it's probably your long past due. Mm. But where do we place the blame or where do we shift the responsibility here? I'd say it's to the people. If those folks at 90 years old keep getting reelected, who are we to blame? But the people who send them back to Washington. So if the people in the states or the districts uh, being represented – don't act on it. If they don't have a problem with it, then we really can't uh, place blame anywhere than but them. It reminds me of the Eddie Murphy movie, Distinguished Gentleman, where the senator dies and Eddie Murphy just changes his name to the same name as the senator. And people just go in and vote for the same guy they voted for every year and he gets elected for no other reason other than name recognition. And that sounds farcical, but it's actually not too far from the truth, I think. People just see the same name they've always voted for and they'll just keep doing it. And that's one of the problems uh, we face as we try to kind of move the next generation, I think, into politics. Um, Sometimes... We have to thank the people who have given us a lot of hard work and their time, uh, but it's time to move on to the next generation. Right. And read an article this week on on this very topic. I believe it was CNN uh, did a report on how the Democratic Party has an age problem in a time when Donald Trump is now in the White House. And there's a lot of uh, animosity between Democrats and Republicans that if the, the Democratic Party wants to take back control Uh, certainly in 2020 and beyond, they need to find young, charismatic candidates to do that. And right now, from within, it's mostly the old guard that's still in these powerful positions. So the age problem is real. When people are talking about Joe Biden, (laughs) which, you know, he'd be pretty, pretty old if he did run and even if he won again. So, yeah, there's there's no Obama on the uh, on the horizon for the Democratic Party now. Uh, well, then again, you never know. There's someone like Chris Murphy we were just talking about in Connecticut. Comes from a little state, but he has big ideas. Well, he turned it down this week, at least in our, our local media here, has gone out and said that he is running for re-election to the Senate in 2018, and he is putting aside any rumors of a White House bid in 2020. Yeah, I'll show you a video from 2005 of Obama saying the same thing, or of 2006 of Obama saying exactly the same thing. So uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on that being totally accurate. Me either. All right, Kevin, what do you got for Kevin's Corner? Well, Jesse, one thing has become more clear as the last decade or two has passed, and that is good governance comes out of bipartisanship. President Trump's insistence on finding a way to undo the Affordable Care Act seems to be solely based on a personal and partisan vendetta. How can we look past the 20 some odd million people that have stood to lose coverage because 535 wealthy folks in Washington get caught up in partisan bickering and presidential pettiness. A country rooted in Republican democracy as ours is, must work in the best interest of all citizens, 
American people over party must be the charge of the next generation of political leaders. The fate of our nation depends on it. Kevin, do you ever just listen to us talk and go, wow, I don't think we've ever been as politically aligned as we are right now today. And we we never thought we'd see the day at some points in our lives. Yeah, you're you're right. It, it's it's surprising, but it's a welcome surprise. Yeah, you know, all things change, and and uh, I've never been one to be stagnant in my beliefs. I change with uh, as as I learn new information, so my opinion changes, and uh, I think that is a good quality. So, Kevin, I, I love what you said in Kevin's corner, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I love having this podcast with you as always. I love talking to our wonderful listeners and friends out there. I love being part of the Ace podcast network and kevin until next time have a great day later